Hello everyone, I'm Tiffany. And I'm Jennifer. And we're both cognitive science majors in a class studying sleep. This podcast is to inform you of the benefits of sleep and hopefully convince you to get your eight hours. As a society, we do not value sleep very much. Many of us think that about five or six hours is enough and then we caffeinate ourselves all day to stay alert. Caffeine is just masking the effects of sleep deprivation. We hope to improve the quality of life, if even for just a few of our listeners, by demonstrating how important sleep really is to our well-being. As college students, we know how important it is to not only get good grades, but also to look and feel good. Scientific studies show that the more sleep-deprived we are, the more likely we are to get fat, look ugly, and sound stupid. And it's so easy to prevent all of that by just getting a good night's rest. And maybe throw in a few naps here and there. Basically, we just want you to make sleep a priority. And to do that, we're going to look at how sleep affects your health and well-being by looking at some studies that have been done. We'll also look at a case of extreme sleep deprivation. Additionally, we'll hear from guest speaker Professor Matthew Walker, the psychology of sleep professor at UC Berkeley. We'll hear how he got into the field of sleep research and where the field is heading today. Do you ever find yourself staying up late? just eating and eating and eating, going into the kitchen and grabbing whatever you can find, it's highly likely that mostly what you're grabbing are carbohydrates because of your hormone imbalance that you've created from lack of sleep. The two main hormones that regulate your appetite are leptin and ghrelin. Leptin is the hormone responsible for inhibiting appetite. This is the don't eat hormone. On the other hand, ghrelin increases appetite and is the eat hormone. So basically, you've created this situation in your body where you're craving carbs. And the only thing that's going to make you feel satisfied is those carbs. And we all know that carbs just add to the waistline and make you fatter. So really, you're doing yourself a huge benefit by getting good sleep and taking care of those hormones and making sure that they're regulated in the body by getting enough sleep. Tell me, Tiffany, why is it that when I wake up after a full night's rest, I feel gorgeous, but when I wake up after sleep deprivation, I look like crap? Well, there is a reason why they call it beauty sleep, and that's because science has shown that getting a good night's rest does make you look better. If you take untrained observers and have them look at photos of people who are sleep deprived, they almost always rate them as looking unattractive and unhealthy, and that's really just not something that's going to boost your self-esteem. Say you wake up and you didn't get much sleep last night, so you're feeling a little chubby, you're looking a little dull. On top of all this, you're also going to sound a little ridiculous. And this is because the all-nighters you're trying to pull off are actually hurting your capacity to learn. Not only will your ability to take information in be diminished, but you'll also be interfering with your brain's process of holding on to your memories. Studies show that sleep consolidates your memories so that it's much harder to interfere with them. The moral of the story is that sleeping before a test is actually way more beneficial than cramming the night before. And another upside to this is the money you would save on caffeine, since you'd be sleeping instead of chugging those five-hour energies. From all of that, it sounds like you're just going to be a smarter person. All you got to do is sleep more. Let's recap. Depriving yourself of sleep will ultimately work against you over time. You may feel like it's the best thing you can do at the moment to stay up and finish what it is you're doing, but in the end, it'll affect your beauty, intelligence, and weight. That's so true, Tiffany. And as students, we all know that these three things are very important to our self-esteem. So if we still haven't convinced you to get those Z's, keep listening as we have a few stories you may want to hear about extreme sleep deprivation and its consequences. Let's look at what happens when you force yourself to stay awake beyond a day. Back in 1959, a guy named Peter Tripp did just that. 
In the name of charity, he was to remain awake for 200 hours, which equates to about eight days. Peter was known as an all-around nice guy. He was a radio DJ and had many fans and a close friendship with his barber. The sleep deprivation really started to show its effects at about four days in, when Peter was having hallucinations, even seeing spiders in his shoes and accusing those around him of trying to poison him. He and the barber had a falling out during this time, when Peter became so argumentative and mean that he brought the barber to tears. Peter began cursing the barber, really being terrible to him and insulting him, and the barber cried. <laughs> he didn't understand this. He began crying when Peter cursed him. His mean body temperature progressively declined over this period of time, and the lower it went, the crazier he got. Tripp had begun to see things that weren't there. He mistook one of the doctors for an undertaker who'd come to bury him. He ran into the street, terrified. At first, the medical team were puzzled by the hallucinations. But then they made a surprising discovery. When we sleep, we enter a period of REM sleep every 90 minutes. It's during this stage that we dream. Tripp's brainwaves showed that although he was awake... The hallucinations were shadowing the 90-minute cycle of dream sleep. There was a 90-minute cycle of uh, relative confusion and relative clarity that would ebb and flow during the time that he would, if he were sleeping, have had uh, REM sleep. Those were the times he was most likely to hallucinate. Wow, what a creepy ending to a potentially cool story about a guy trying to stay awake. All right, so most of us aren't going to try and stay awake for eight days, but even just a day's worth of sleep deprivation can have some devastating consequences. Quite surprisingly, medical interns that are severely sleep-deprived show a 160% increased chance of having a road traffic accident themselves. There have been some examples in history of catastrophic accidents all caused from sleep-deprived workers. One example is the Exxon Valdez oil spill accident in 1989. This caused irreparable damage to the environment and killed large amounts of wildlife in Alaska. It has been revealed that this happened because the captain was acutely sleep-deprived, having only six hours of sleep in three days. If that wasn't bad enough, then we have Chernobyl a literal nuclear meltdown that was a hundred times more powerful than the two atom bombs dropped in World War II. Thousands have lost their lives to this tragic accident, all caused because a sleep-deprived worker had accidentally turned off several safety features during a routine shutdown. Those are two extreme accidents, but don't think that it can't happen to you. In 2006, a bus carrying nine children had stopped at a stop sign. A Pontiac was behind the bus carrying seven passengers, all under the age of 18. A semi-truck with a sleep-deprived driver was following closely behind, but when he approached the stop sign, he did not even slow down and slammed into both preceding vehicles. This tragic accident left all passengers in the Pontiac dead and all of the children on the school bus injured. This truck driver perished in the accident as well. This is the type of accident that normally is the result of intoxicated drivers, but in this case, there was no sign of intoxication, only sleep deprivation. One of the main ways to avoid accidents like this is by promoting knowledge about sleep. The more we have learned about sleep in our class, we realize how fundamental it is, not only our health and well-being, but our safety as well. Our very own professor has graciously provided us with his perspective in the world of sleep. 
He relates to us how he got into the field of sleep and where the research is going in the future. How did I get into the field of sleep research and what drew me to it? Um, my PhD was actually looking at people with dementia and trying to use their patterns of brainwave activity to see if I can figure out very early on what different type of dementia that they had. And uh, I was failing miserably in my PhD. I couldn't find any differences. But the issue was that I was recording their brainwave activity while they were awake. And then I started to learn more about the disorders and the pathology and which parts of the brain were disrupted in different types of dementia. And so I realized that perhaps I was measuring brainwave activity at the wrong time. I should be measuring it while they were sleeping. And so I learned how to do sleep research and sleep recording. And I started to measure their brainwave activity of different types of uh, patients with dementia while they were sleeping. And that's when I started to find lots of differences. And uh, that's when I started to realize if people have bad sleep and different types of bad sleep with different types of dementia, what does that mean for their symptoms? Does that help explain why they have different problems with memory? And so I decided uh, I should try and figure out why people sleep. And at that point, I realized nobody had yet figured it out. And it was about 50 years to the point uh, where people had discovered different stages of sleep, but nobody truly understood why we have them. So, uh, so I thought, well, I'll take a break. I will put the dementia research on hold and I'll go and try and answer the question of science as to why we sleep. And I made that switch 12 years ago <laughs> and I'm still trying to answer the question of why we sleep. And at some point when I figure it out, if I ever figure it out, I'll return back to the question of dementia and what happens with their bad sleep. But first I need to keep doing science and trying to figure out why it is that we sleep. And that's what drew me in. It's interesting to learn that it all started with dementia research for you. And where do you think the cutting edge of research in sleep is heading today? I think it's probably heading in at least two interesting uh, directions. The first direction is that we continue to examine the basic science question of why we sleep. And we're starting to find that sleep doesn't just serve one single function. It serves a whole constellation of different functions, both for the brain and the body. So I think uh, the cutting edge research there is within the brain science component. I think the sleep and emotion story is a fascinating one. We don't know very much about it, but I think sleep and the emotional brain uh, have a huge story to play in domains such as psychiatry. I think sleep has a big story to tell psychiatry. Um, I think the second component where sleep research is heading is what we would call translational directions, which means taking basic science and basic understanding and moving it out and to try and help people with different types of disorders. So applying basic research to uh, mainstream medicine. So from bench to bedside, as it were. And I think that's another exciting area, starting to see if we can help treat people with sleep disorders or sleep problems, and as a consequence, try to help improve whatever medical condition that they're suffering from. So I think those are the two fascinating areas uh, of the future. Okay, Professor, and we all want to know if you practice what you preach. Are you ever sleep deprived and have to rely on caffeine to get through the day? Um, I am very rarely sleep deprived. Hokey as it may sound, I do practice what I preach. I will routinely get between about seven and a half uh, to eight hours of sleep a night. If I get less than seven hours, I certainly don't function very well at all. 
Um, if by chance I don't happen to be getting good sleep, for example, if I'm traveling internationally and, uh, for um, talks or conferences, uh, then I probably will uh, have a tea or a coffee to try and help me out during the day. But that's really only under those extreme circumstances of uh, sort of time zone travel and bad sleep. For the most part, I will always prioritize my sleep in my life. And that's why hopefully I'm almost never sleep deprived. There you go. And you've heard it from the experts, folks. Sleep is essential. No more making excuses for those all-nighters or trying to stay up to catch the latest episode of The Late Late Show. Your non-sleep deprived life starts today. In case you find yourself with difficulties getting to sleep, we're going to end this podcast with some tips for better sleep. Yes, like trying to keep your schedule regular. You really need to try to go to sleep and wake up at the same time every day. Also, you should try having no caffeine eight hours before bed. Yes, that's right, eight hours. And don't bring those electronics into the bedroom. The bright light from these devices interferes with your circadian rhythm. Try keeping your room cool. The body must drop in temperature for a restful sleep. It's much harder to sleep in a room that is too warm. And you should also try to synchronize to the 24-hour day. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. This podcast used reference material from Psychology 133, UC Berkeley, 2013.